first session, we looked at what worship is and why it should be central in our lives. We discovered that worship is our purpose, demands our priority, and is about God's presence. We all long for our worship to connect people to God, and we all long to see worship change lives. But how does this happen? In this second session called Encounter God, we are going to look at three key values that are vital if we are to keep the worship of God central. On the evening of 10 January 1610, a little-known scientist was staring into the Italian night sky. It was a glorious night. The, the heavens were sprinkled with a thousand burning stars and planets, and planets danced in the clear winter air. He had just built an ingenious device using polished glass that allowed him to see the planets up close. In those days, the universe was a simple place. People believed that the sun, moon, the stars and planets all revolved around the earth. We were the center, the focus, the constant, and everything else spun submissively around us. However, Jupiter's moon were in rebellion. They seemed to be happily spinning around Jupiter. Not the Earth, not us. Galileo's discovery rocked the scientific world, and like a, like a cosmic earthquake, the truth hurt. Theories would need to be reworked, libraries pouted, school books updated, and calendars recalculated. People really did not like the idea that we were not the center of it all. It's a bit like that with worship. It's easy to fall into the trap of saying, I didn't really get much out of that time of worship, or those songs didn't do much for me. We've probably all done it. But the truth is, we are not the center of the worshiping universe. The point of worship is not to make us feel better or happier, or fulfilled. Worship is not about us. New Testament scholar David Peterson says, worship of the true and living God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms he proposes and in the way he alone makes possible. So how do we ensure we don't make the mistake of thinking we are at the center of our worship? There are three key values that are at the heart of every expression of worship. The first value is that our worship must be Christ-centered. We get a glimpse of what this looks like at the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, the writer describes a breathtaking scene. Every living creature in heaven and on earth get it worshiping. Countless millions of angels, kings and rulers amazing-looking creatures, all focused on one throne. Day and night, they are crying out in worship. And there, in the center of it all, standing in the middle of this paramaramic uh, of praise, is Jesus. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it, has been, it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Revelations 5, 6. So Jesus is the goal of our worship. True worship is centered on Jesus. He is the goal of our worship. It is in Jesus, 
through Jesus, to Jesus, and for Jesus. He is the name that is, that is above every name, our great adventure, the one our worshiping universe revolves around. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and demolish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3, 16-17. When we really begin to understand this, we discover that we are free to worship at all times and in all places because we worship in Christ. When we turn away from the things we know are wrong and choose to make Jesus the center of our universe, we are freed from sin, we are freed from our selfish nature, and we become the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. Everything we do should be an act of worship. This means taking our everything, our waking, sleeping, working, thinking, laughing, and even weeping, to take it all and bring it before God as an offering. This is what being truly Christ-centered looks like. And it is the key to the most dynamic, exciting, fulfilling way of life you could ever hope to pursue. Secondly, Jesus perfects our worship. There was once a little girl sitting playing a piano in the lobby of a smart hotel. Her playing was terrible, so poor that it irritated the guests around her, causing a number of them to complain. All of a sudden, a man sat down beside her and began playing along with her. He began to fill all the chords around her notes, correcting her errors by playing the right notes. And suddenly, a breathtaking sound filled the hotel. Everyone was speechless and stood listening to the wonderful music. It emerged that the, the man was the girl's father, the famous 19th century Russian composer Alexander Brodin. In the same way, the man in the story took the disc discordian and limited playing of his little girl, transforming it into something beautiful and glorious. So, so Christ receives all that we offer up to God and turns it into something wonderful and pleasing. Jesus is our great high priest, our once and for sacrifice, the only one capable of offering perfect worship. He is, as John Calvin, the French reformer, wrote, the great choir master who tunes our hearts to sing God's praise. It is through him our worship becomes holy and acceptable to God. So because of this, we must take care that our worship is directed to Jesus. And uh, thirdly, Jesus is the model for our worship. Paul writes in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In this passage, the Greek word Paul uses for, the, uses for worship is latreia, the same word that is used to mean service. 
The privilege of worship is not that we get to be in the spotlight. On the contrary, the privilege is that the living God has called us into a divine service. Jesus' life on earth is a demonstration of worship through service. Philippians 2 includes a section from one of the hymns of the early church. And in this, we see a picture of Jesus, the worshiping servant. Here we read, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Jesus did not use his superior status as a means of gaining an advantage over others. His life was lived in reverse. He made himself nothing. This was his means of worshiping the Father, and it must be ours as well. So how do we serve God? Jesus' example is clear. He has come to bring good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to tell the world that God looks at them and loves them. If we are to be like Jesus, this is our mandate too. We are called to preach the good news, but also be the good news. So that's the first key value. Our worship must be Christ-centered. Moving on to the second value. Our worship must be spirit-led. Paul uses the phrase in Philippians 3, 3. We who worship by the Spirit of God. Worship is only made possible by the Holy Spirit. As a worship leader, especially when things aren't going well, I often find myself tempted to play louder, faster, or even speak more forcefully in order to create a response of worship among the congregation. But this rarely seems to work. Why? Because the only way to truly lead people in worship is to allow the Holy Spirit to take the lead. Christ-centered worship only happens through the power of, of the Spirit. The same Spirit that brings revelation opens our eyes to the wonder of His new life, love, mercy, kindness, and infinite power. He alone leads to the place where we glorify Christ and acknowledge Jesus is Lord, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12:3. It is easy to get caught up in the things that we can control like which song we sing, the sound quality, the lighting, how the band looks, and the general, general atmosphere. But they are nothing without God's Spirit. And when we rely too heavily on them, things go wrong. Sometimes there can be a danger that we have an over-fascination with production and an under-fascination with the presence of God. It can be so tempting in worship as is in all aspects of life to base our choices and action on what we've seen work well in the past. God, however, 
isn't looking for formulas, rules, and regulation. American author A.W. Tozer warned, if God took his Holy Spirit out of this world, what the church would go on, the, what the church is doing would go right on, and no one would know the difference. Such a challenging um, phrase, uh, statement there. Without the Spirit, we are left with lifeless religion, something dead and mechanical, something fruitless, something worse than useless. Bono of the band U2 once said, I often wonder if religion is the enemy of God. It's almost like religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the building. But you know, Spirit-led worship is not a new thing. In fact, it is the heritage of the church through the ages. Spirit-led worship can be found where incense is woven, um, candles are littered, and traditional ropes are worn, just like our Anglican brothers. Just as much as where the latest songs are sung and people dance and jump up and down. Allowing God's Spirit to lead our corporate times of worship isn't an issue or style or preference. It is a foundational truth that is essential in our worship today as it was for the early church. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 18-20. As we are filled with the Spirit, our heart overflows with worship. We respond with a life of gratitude and songs of devotion. If we allow the Holy Spirit to be our chief worship leader, placing our trust ultimately in Him, we will see explosion of life, freedom, joy, creativity, healing, and blessing we have the privilege of joining in on one of the most exciting and exhilarating of journeys. Because as 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Actually, the next part, allow me to go off a bit of a tangent. I didn't actually think I would go, go there. But this morning I was reading um, uh, one of the leadership blogs by by this guy called um, Kerry Newhoff. And he's a Canadian pastor. And he, he says, I don't have my notes, so I've got to read this. When you're not praying for, investing in, or hanging out with unchurched people, your leadership conversations become about personal preference, not biblical principles. And when your church becomes all about your personal preference, you lose the mission. And th that's something that we will never want <clears throat> to go there. And as Pastor Ian often emphasized, especially our church, New Hope, we on Sunday mornings are for the unchurch, the lost. And, and so combined with the foundational truth that, that um, we allow God's Spirit to lead our corporate times of worship, 
Just want to speak a little so you understand my heart as your worship pastor. As, as those of us who, who have been on this journey with God a bit longer, we have our favorite worship songs or worship hymns. And that's, not, that's a good thing. I like to propose that, that the reason why we have these favorite songs is because either those songs spoke to us through the Holy Spirit when we were saved or when we were going through important milestones in our spiritual journey with God. And that's why we, we look to those songs as our favorite songs. The unchurched do not have these, this point of reference. The unchurched do, do not know what songs we have sung in the past. So, and, and so when we go on this journey as a church of, of learning new songs, it's, for also, it's, it's also for the process of going through, discerning what would work for this current generation, the unchurched that's coming into this church. We do not want to focus on just, and we, there, is, there is a place for that, but we do not just want to focus on um, older songs or hymns. There is definitely a place in our worship diet for that. But can I propose that our aim, our focus, should be discerning what new songs that God is br- are bringing through the church and, and what he's trying to say in this generation. So that's just a little bit of a off topic for me. But um, hopefully you hear my heart on that. So let's move on. The third value of true worship is response to the Father. As we worship Christ in the power of the Spirit, our hearts are drawn to respond to the Father. The very same Father who responds to us like the Father who responded with such grace and love to the prodigal son in Luke's Gospel. We read, But while he was still a long way away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Luke 15, 20. Identity from, our, from the Father. Our first response is to receive our identity from the Father. No matter how we feel about ourselves, God has chosen us to be sons and daughters, inheritors of his kingdom, called by name and unconditionally loved. The Bible tells us, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8.15. The great Chinese Christian leader, Watchman Nee, tells of a young man who came to see him in deep distress. He said, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. Ni re- responded, Do you see this dog here? He is my dog. He is house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. He's a perfect delight to me. Out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess, he throws his food around, he fouls his clothes, and he's a total mess. But who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog, my son, 
is my hair. Man, this point alone can be a whole sermon on its own. I spent many years journeying with God on this to truly understand my identity as a son of God and what it means to live from their identity. I believe too many Christians have not wrestled with this in their lives. So we end up getting our identity from our ambition, our achievement, our money, or even our family. And we end up like the prodigal son, forgetting who he was as a son and thinking it would be better as a servant. Okay, I'm going to stop preaching on this point or Pasi and might actually get me to do an actual sermon on this. <laughs> Number two, intimacy with the Father. Our second response is intimacy with the Father. William Barclay, uh, Barclay, the great biblical commentator, writes, true worship is when a person, through their spirit, attains intimacy and friendship with God. Michael, Michael Edward um, Reagan, I think, was the adopted son of Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States. At the funeral service of his father in January 2004, Michael opened his address with these words. Good evening. I'm, Michael, I'm Mike Reagan. You knew my father as governor, as, as president, but I knew him as dad. Likewise, the most holy and awesome God is also known as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator and sustainer of the universe. But to us, now, he is simply known as Father. It is one of it's the greatest scandals of the universe that God, for whom the atoms dance and galaxies spin symphonies, the God who rules and reigns, transcendent above and beyond understanding, invites us to call him Father. Through Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, from um, Colossians 1, um, 15, God is revealed to us as a loving, tender parent, the kind who forgives, heals the brokenhearted, sings over us, and loves us unconditionally. We find ourselves drawing close to a God who reveals himself not as a harsh, harsh judge waiting to catch us out, but a father who delights in us. Intimacy involves both close affection and reverent awe. Throughout history, the church has tended to, to swing between overemphasizing either the eminence or closeness of God or the transcendence or otherness of God. But the Bible teaches us to embrace both in our worship. This tension is well captured in the word most commonly used in the New Testament to describe worship, poskunio. The word literally means to come forward and to kiss in reverence, a term of intimacy and tenderness, but at the same time of great respect. In Hosea 11, there is a verse that on first reading seems very strange. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. But when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. Hosea 11.10. No one in their right mind would approach a roaring lion, right? 
Yet in this picture, we see God described as a lion, ferocious, powerful, and kingly, whose children come running to him. God is feared and revered, but at the same time, he draws his people close. Here in Hosea, we see a stunning picture. The weak, frail, vulnerable, and brokenhearted running towards the very thing that should strike terror and fear in their hearts. However, instead of being destroyed, they find protection and safety. The Bible tells us the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Psalms 25, 14. He both terrifies and welcomes in. So we find the great paradox of intimacy. To truly understand the majesty of God, and we have to draw near by faith to experience the closeness of God in Christ. In Jesus, God has revealed himself as a God who invites us to approach him in intimacy. American author Brennan Manning writes that God entered our world not with the crushing impact of unbearable glory, but in the way of weakness, vulnerability, and need. On a wintry night in an obscure cave, the infant Jesus was a humble, naked, helpless God who allowed us close, to get close to Him. Not only is intimacy central to our worship, but we must worship in such a way that encourages others to come into a place of intimacy with God. Our attitude as worshippers is to be like a good usher at a wedding. We see this so clearly in the life of John the Baptist, who knew his goal was to help the people of God, the bride, encounter Jesus, their bridegroom. John the Baptist said this, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must be greater, I must become less. John 3, 29 to 30. So I remember my wedding like it was yesterday. Okay, I'm joking. I don't remember being that skinny. Anyway, this was um, PJ and my bridal party. We have uh, my sister Tiffany and Mikey on the left. Uh, PJ's sister Nandy and my other groomsman Sam on the right. These were the people who worked tirelessly with us to organize our wedding day. And let me tell you, this is not your typical Kiwi wedding with just a ceremony and a reception. We had a gate-crashing ceremony at PJ's place in Pakaranga like at 8 a.m., a tea ceremony at my, my parents' place in Browns Bay. That's like over the shore for your Easties. <laughs> Two lots of photo shoots in different locations and times. Let, let me quickly show you the run sheets I made for, for just the wedding ceremony and reception. I run sheet the heck out of this wedding. <laughs> Keep going. Um, <laughs> they were my masterpiece, my Michelangelo. And I think Mikey is probably getting traumatic flashbacks seeing this. Anyway, the point of this story 
is that our bridal party did everything they could to ensure there was no distraction or disruption in our wedding day. They made sure our wedding day went smoothly. So at the moment of our wedding, of our marriage, PJ and I were able to focus entirely on each other and enjoy our moment of public intimacy, exchange, devotion, and dedication. In the same way, our role as worshippers is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to decrease, to draw attention away from ourselves and towards God, so that we don't get in the way of encouraging intimacy with God. We have a great privilege to join the church, the bride of Christ, into the presence of the bridegroom, and then to allow that moment of public intimacy to happen. Can I get the team to come up, please? So just to recap, our worship must be Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-led, and the response to the Father. We worship a God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, that, so this is where our worship must begin. We find ourselves standing in the sun, filled with the Spirit, and embraced by the Father. Here, we don't find a somber silence, but an exuberant dance of joy. This is, exuberant dance of joy is actually probably one of the most common illustrations used to describe the, the, the Trinity. So like the child who runs, to be swept up into the air by its parent. We find ourselves lifted off our feet as we worship, caught up in the very heart of God. It is here in this place of intimate encounter that we are led to service and we see transformation. Right now, today, you might feel hungry for a new encounter with God. You might feel your universe is out of sync and needs to be realigned. You may feel distant and long for intimacy. The good news is that right now, we can ask God to come by His Spirit and to reveal Jesus to us in a new and powerful way. Would you stand with me and, and we'll pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you don't leave us like orphans, but you send Jesus to come and rescue us. Father, we thank you that you are here today by your Holy Spirit. I pray that those of us who, who are wanting to draw near to you but don't know how, Lord, that you come by Spirit and you'll bring us close, Lord. Father, I pray that, that those of us who feel that our worlds are just too cluttered and too busy to even hear you speak, Lord, that, Father, you will put in our hearts that you are the center of it all. 
So Lord, now we come, we pray that you will come and fill us with your power. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.